Hello everybody, Mark's my name, we're glad you're here. And uh, welcome to my house. We've pulled some chairs together to depict exactly what I want to talk about today in terms of community. And we're starting a new series. And because most of us believe that something deep, deeply is going wrong in this whole pandemic thing. And it's kind of shocking for some people. I've talked to a number of people and I'm hearing people feeling alone or afraid or tired or, or depressed. And they're not really quite understanding let me give you an observation I made, I made a number of years ago about this, and it just struck me as I was putting this message together that I think it speaks to today. I was in a training program being discipled to uh, volunteer in a federal prison that was by uh, a, a previous posting that I had, and, and I got an observation from the, from the main person that I was responsible to about how they discipline the most hardened criminals that we have. It's interesting. It's called solitary confinement. We take a person out from interacting with other people and we leave them all alone. It was profound then and it's more profound now as I look at what's going on in people's lives and in my own feelings. I don't feel like I've just been in jail for a while. I feel like I have been in solitary confinement. I can't be around many of my friends. And I'm not much of a hugger, but I'll tell you, something weird's going on inside of me. Folks, I want to talk today about the, the critical issue of community and what happens when people cut themselves or others cut them off from community. In fact, when I was praying about this, <clears throat> I believe God is asking me to deal with two questions. What do God's people need to hear and obey as it relates to this problem? And secondly, what aspect of God's character do we need to bolster in our church as we face this? We need to talk about connectedness or the lack thereof and community and as we're experiencing. Now I remind you, our mission is to help seekers and believers become fully devoted followers of Christ. And if we do not, become, if we do not get connected as the community of God, we will never be fully devoted followers. It's, it's woven right into that whole discipleship process. God's great commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Many times we forget that neighbor as yourself part. I want to talk about it. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to stand in a second and do that. But what I want to, as you're looking for that, <clears throat> let me, uh, for the kids and those of us that think like kids, let me show you some pictures and ask a question in terms of, so what is this made for? So the first one is a race car. What are race cars made for? Speed, simple as that, and safety if you're the guy driving it. The next one's an airplane. What are airplanes for? to move people around through continents and different cities and everything else. We get it. What's that next one? It's an MRI machine. And that's so they can look inside of us and they don't have to cut us open to see what's going on and, and do all kinds of different types of surgery and diagnosis. The last one is a group of people in a circle. My question is, what are men and women, what did, were men and women made for? What did God make us for? Folks, He made us for community. Now. Take your Bibles if you have them, Romans chapter 12, and in respect to what we're reading, please stand. Let me read, starting in verse 9, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, Practice hospitality. 
Lord, teach us what you want to speak to us today. Thank you for the opportunity of being here, for the, for the authority of your word. And we pray that now as we look at this, this would change how we are living in this pandemic time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I've never, I've never taught a message in my living room, so uh, this is a little weird for me. I know it's probably weird for you. Let, let's talk about the theology behind uh, what I speak of here in terms of community. The first reminder I, I give to you is that God is asking that we understand Him. Remember He, he said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 13, My name is Yahweh. Interesting. But the names, and we've talked about this before, names back then meant about, talked about your character. It wasn't just a label so you could come for supper. There was much more. And in that, level, in that label, if you want to pull it, or the name of Yahweh, it means that God is eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, yet covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. That's who He is. In other words, He is all-powerful and yet all-gentle. He is great and He is good. He is self-sufficient and yet He is, in essence, relational. This is huge. And if, if this is what you got, this is kind of all you might need in today's message in terms of God is great and He is good and He is relational to you. So that's first. Yahweh is great and good. The second point is this. Yahweh is relationally triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. In essence, He is one. All that makes up one makes up the other. But in persona, in usia, He is, or in, sorry, in persona, He is one, or three. Three in one. Now we're not going to go down and try to evaluate or talk about all of that. I just want you to understand there was a guy named Basil. Basil or Basil the Great. I, I don't think his mother-in-law called him the Great. But anyhow, around 300 AD, mid-300s, he talked about this an awful lot. And he used some of the teaching on the Trinity to change monasticism in all of Turkey. And I want to talk about that in a, in a few minutes. But first I wanted you to understand that Yahweh is relationally triune. The Trinitarian aspect is that Father and Son and Holy Spirit have been an eternal creator community forever. Never have they been apart except when Jesus on the cross had all the sins of all of mankind and history laid upon Him. At that point, God the Father and Spirit turned their back because they couldn't look. But beyond that, he has been, they have been an eternal relational trinity. Thirdly, that Yahweh created men and women in His image. It says that in Genesis 1.27, God created mankind to be in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created us. And what He's saying here is there's a great ability for creativity and gender and mission and authority and all of those, but there's also the, the important yearning that we have for community. It comes from being made in the, in the very image of God. This is a God-given thing. Fourthly, Yahweh declared aloneness to be wrong. Genesis chapter 2, 18, uh, all the creation was happening and Adam was, was, um, was naming the animals and God said, all the other animals have relationship and, and in that aspect of community. Adam needs an Eve. Now, not specifically a woman. We'll talk about this. They, Adam and Eve, um, it was not good that he be alone. It's the aloneness issue that's a problem. That doesn't mean that men or women are better than one or the other. It doesn't mean that you have to be married, by the way. 
And it doesn't mean that one should never be have some alone time. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking here about aloneness. The simple truth is he has made us in his triune image to be made for relationships. And aloneness is not what God wanted. The pandemic has thrust us into separation and fear because of aloneness. We feel alone. Folks, I've said it many times, and many of you have politely nodded as I've spoke on this. God has shaped, there's a God-shaped vacuum in each of us that only God can, can fill. There's also a human-shaped vacuum in, a vacuum in each of us that only other people can fill. That's the importance and the meaning of relationships and community. Well, I would like to show you a couple of, uh, first a picture of Basil. You see it? That's Saint Basil, the magnificent, or the, uh, the great. And he was one of the uh, bishops, you want to call him. Some people called him differently, but one of the bishops of the eastern part of Turkey. Cappadocia, Cappadocia. There's different ways of saying that. And I want to show you some pictures of what was going on. The first one is of the valley that he kind of uh, was in. And see, it's all, it was, it was washed with water. And if you go to the next picture, well, if you go to the next few pictures, you'll see there, there's these pointedness in these buildings. And with, with the limestone that this was made out of, monks carved right into these little hills, if you want to put it that way. And that's where they la la lived. And that's also where they built churches. They burrowed little holes in there, and you'll see some places or some pictures now of some churches. If you look at the others, I've got some other pictures here. With the people of the day that could not read or write, they would do pictures and tell the gospel story in pictures and use that to teach the men and women in that area. All of this is done in those little cave areas where they come in and hollow out a big area and then put uh, frescoes on the walls and places where and, and, and these paintings that were marvelous paintings. Folks, what was happening and what I want you to understand is this. Basil the Great was trying to change monasticism because the monks were, were living in aloneness. They didn't talk together. In fact, these little churches that they were making, they personally made those churches. Some of them are not even big enough to have two people in them. You have a church with one person in it? Basil said, this is wrong, absolutely wrong. You need, we need to learn to live together. In fact, he reminded them that Jesus at his high priestly, priestly prayer said that he's praying that his disciples would live in community with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, but in community with each other and in unity with each other. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed in, the, in his last prayer there with his disciples, he prayed for unity. God the Father being filled with community is a spin-off of all of that. And when you and I live together in unity, it communicates who God is and that people can be drawn in relationship to Him. When we live outside of community, just the opposite happens. And we destroy the kingdom aspect of who God calls us to. So to teach the monks, Basil did this. I want to show you another picture. This picture is, where, is, is of a dining hall and the the table is right up against the wall, and so all the, the monks would come in and sit down and look straight ahead at a wall. They wouldn't talk to each other. They wouldn't look this side or the other. They're looking right at them all. When they're done eating, they go away. Sadly, like some families that I know today, they never have meals together. And there's something about a meal, isn't it? 
And there's something about the, the sacred meal around bread and wine that we have to remember the body and blood of Jesus. Meals are important, whether they're birthday parties or whatever else. They're important. And Basil said, listen, I'm gonna, he, what he actually did is I'm going to make you guys live together and eat together. He made sure that the walls or the, the tables were cut off the walls and the tables would be put in the middle of the room and then line each side so they would look at each other and become friendly with each other and do community with each other. See, healthy families, even to this day, need to eat together. When you don't eat with your kids or eat with your spouse, there's a problem. Meals are important. When you go on a date, often you're going out to have a meal together or something together, a drink together. That's important. Our, our bodies and our emotions get kind of connected with each other through food. And I think of how we celebrate. We celebrate, uh, or at least celebrate if we can, yes, if you want to say that, with funerals, with weddings, with birthdays, and all kinds of things. It's surrounded by food. Food helps us remember the past in Thanksgiving. It helps us remember what uh, God has done for us. Basil used that in his wisdom. And he created a different type of monasticism in the whole eastern part of Turkey. Amazing stuff. Well, folks, some relational stuff that we must address if we are going to be the people of community. Number one, technology. It's a great day to live because of the ease that technology gives to us. But I'll tell you, there's some problems with technology. The instant information, for instance, that we can get. It looks like there's so many more killings these days and more, more going on around the world with terrorism. Many times, it, it was just that we were oblivious to the fact that it was going on until somebody put it on a newscast or uh, did some, did some uh, writing in newspapers for us. Now, within minutes of certain things happening, planes crashing and all kinds of things, we get it because of our, our, our technology. Inst we have instant uh, openings to books and devices. We have devices that if we don't want to read the book, it will read for us. Instant connection anywhere with people around the world. There's an instant sexual gratification issue where people are rather than dating or marrying, they're getting gratified off the internet. Technology can do amazing things. Healthcare, education, information transformation. It'll help you fix your car. It teaches you how to, how to hook up a, a dishwasher or maybe take out your own appendix. Not a good idea. But at times, technology destroys us because instead of relational activity and learning the skills of socialization that we need, we do it ourselves. We don't ask somebody. We Google it. We got a question? We ask Siri. We need to know where someplace is to go. We look it up on Google Maps or Waze or something else. What it's happening is it is slowly destroying our socialization process. Simon Sinek talked about how our brains are actually being rewired because of our technology. And many times, key, key skills that we are needed to develop friendships and understand socialization are destroyed. Social rules are not developed. And so you have feelings of deep aloneness in us because, frankly, technology doesn't do it for us. He argues that technology heightens our impatient level and because we do not want to make, wait for anything, we want it now. And it destroys our developing of dynamic teams. It, devo it, 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 it destroys our joy and destroys the interaction of others with conflict. We just walk away. We don't want to deal with it. 
technology can be and really is a great thing, but there's a shadow side to technology. It hinders real community with real people. Watch out. Watch out. The second problem to address is self-centeredness. Not only technology, but self-centeredness. If we're going to be people of community, we need to kill self-centeredness in our lives. We live in the age of the selfie. It's all about me and what, what my friends want me to, to see or what I want to project to my friends. They want me to, they, uh, I want them to know what type of meal I'm eating and vacation I'm having, and they don't care. But it's all about me. And we live in this age of impatience and shorter emotional fuses, we even violence because things don't go our way the way we want them to go. Again, we have to turn away from this and turn towards community. Let's get to the fixing side of this whole thing. Folks, biblical community has at least five components. One author wrote it this way. Community is experiencing knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, celebrating and being celebrated, hearing and being heard. The first one, knowing and being known. The truth is that many of us here not, not because we're married or not married or whatever else, we still don't have a single person that really, really knows us. Many times we hide ourselves from others and we don't find the few trusted friends, sometimes, ever. It's hard work to develop a friendship that is trustworthy and a friendship that you can really trust. And it says in the, 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 the text that we read before, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it uses the word sincere. It means no pretending. No acting, no hypocriticalness. It means to be vulnerable. And people, many people, are afraid of vulnerability. Other people may know what's really going on inside of me and my failures and anything else, and they run away from that. Well, folks, developing a person and a relationship with community is hard work, and it's risky. I'm asking that you take a risk and develop friendships that matter forever. One way of doing that, get into a small group. Now, I am not saying for a second that every small group is the best thing in the world. Small groups can also be toxic. But I think what you need to have is great wisdom to find a great leader, and we have many of them in our, in our church. And I want you to know when I came here in the mess of life that I was in, this is the church that developed me, again, in the area of acceptance, and, and, and community and building that in my life, especially in the area of friendship. And I would pray this would happen to you as well. Secondly, loved, love and be loved. The word that is used again in Romans 12 verse 10 is devoted. It's, it's, it's irrational. All of us need to be loved irrationally by a few people. That's one of the reasons that God created grandkids, I think. They come and hug your neck and they love it when you come, they cry when you go. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest feelings that you can have. You need that with a few trusted people. Everyone does. Some people think when they grow up, they grow out of that need. That's just the opposite. We need that. And it talks in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, perfect love casts out fear. When we love others, fear leaves. Or there's times that we give in to fear, and the result is we don't love others. God calls us to that. Loved and be loved. Love and be loved. Thirdly, 
Serve and be served. Romans 12, 11 use the word zeal. It's, it's, it means eager, not lazy, to do what needs to be done. Remember in John chapter 13, the disciples and Jesus were around the table last supper. And Jesus, all the other guys were too proud to do this. But Jesus took off parts of his robe and he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. He served. He was eager to wash their feet. I was interviewed for a job once. And in the middle of the interview, we went out for supper or lunch together with this senior pastor. He was so condescending to that server that I said to myself, I want to serve another senior pastor. I want, I want to help him do everything he can for the kingdom. But I don't want to live with someone who is cantankerous and thinks that he's just the cat's meow. Folks, we are called to serve others, humble ourselves and serve others. And many of you do this so well. I still look back to the Christmas supper for the homeless that we had here. We had so many people, we had to bring them in with three shifts. We had way too many volunteers. I love that when our church steps out to volunteer. We need to continue to volunteer. And by the way, you might want to do that in your small group. Volunteer together. So serve and be served. Fourthly, celebrate and be celebrated. The words that are used here is about share and eat with each other, rejoicing with each other. We need to develop the togetherness aspect. And usually it can be centered around food, where food is served at funerals or weddings. It says eat together and weep together. It says if we're going to be doing this, it's going to take some hard work. It'll help you if you get in a small group. Have you heard that before? Okay, I'll try not to say it again, at least today. But small groups are for you. And when we pull together into circles like this, God shows up. Remember that one text? When you're real serious about correcting and conflict resolution with each other, in other words, when one or more gather together to deal with that, God shows up in a very unique way. Folks, don't cut yourself off from celebrating and be celebrated. Small group leaders, take two minutes and say, today we're talking about Jim. Jim, we're just, we love Jim because, and fill in the blank. And you don't have to go for an hour talking about Jim. Just a few words. It'll encourage your soul. We need to do that with our kids. We need to appreciate them and encourage them as they're growing and walking through stuff. We need to celebrate each special child. Because God wants to do the same with you. Lastly, here and be heard. One of the greatest gifts that we give others at times is to listen to them. A number of years ago, Cam Daly said, he was talking, and he talked about, and he named these, these homeless guys by name. It struck me, I thought, I've never stopped and helped a homeless guy and actually really got to know him a little bit. There's been a few, but nothing like that. A day later or two days later, I found a homeless guy and, and stopped. Gave him a coffee. We went and bought a coffee, and we both had a coffee, and I handed it to him, and, and I asked him some leading questions, and I listened. He said this, Thanks for not ignoring me, but listening to me. That's real important to me. It's real important to all of us. God wants to be in communion, you need, if you, and you need to know that He hears your voice. He does. He listens to you. And we need to hear His voice. And that's how community gets developed with our, 
with our Lord as well as with each other. Folks, I'm calling you to take a risk. For some of you, it means get into a group. For others, it means expanding your group. For others, it just means taking on the leadership, being a host of a group. But we're asking you to do what you believe the Holy Spirit is asking you to do in your small group setting. If you're not in a small group setting, take those steps to do that. And you will find a community and relationships that will grow deep, deep in your soul. And that's exactly what God wants for us as our church as we continue to, to develop. Lord bless you in these days. May you not feel alone, but may you feel the very presence of God as you reach out to Him and to others in these small groups. Amen? Amen. Lord, thanks for today. Continue to empower your people to be the men and women of God you want us to be. Give us wisdom as we, we relate to each other and go deeper in our relationships with each other. The we aspect, the us-ness of our church. Help us in that. For those that need courage, give that to them, Father. For those that need discipline, creating some time and space to be with others, give them insight. All that we need. We know that you call us to be in community like yourself. Help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks, folks.